0: Welcome back to Gray Malkin Lane, the podcast where queer friends and allies gather to review and discuss the original X-Men comics from the 1960s. Last week, we reviewed X-Men number 21 from Whence Comes Dominus, where the X-Men defeated the very complicated Dominus and his ultra robots and his master crazy computer. And it was kind of nonsense. Uh, Anyway, the villainous Lucifer was revealed as an alien conqueror and was exiled to another dimension, and we won't see him in the X-Men ever again. So this week we're back to review X-Men number 22, called Divided We Fall. It was made in July 1966, and I am joined here by three of my closest and dearest friends here in Salt Lake City. Uh, I'll have each of you introduce yourselves, uh, and then I'm going to ask you to answer this question today. Uh, Name some of your favorite love triangles from fiction, Uh, and have you ever been in a love triangle? Heather, welcome back.
1: Hello, my name is Heather and my pronouns are she, her, hers. And I don't love love triangles in fiction because I really just want everyone to be happy. But um, <laughs> I, the first one that came to mind just because I've been watching or rewatching it is from Buffy the, the Vampire Slayer with Buffy, Angel, and Spike. Because I've always been more of a Spuffy fan, but it is definitely a love triangle at times because Angel and Spike just need to make out already. But that's not the point. (laughs) You said you like
0: Spuffy. That'd be Spangel.
1: Yeah. Yes. But, (laughs) um, so that's the first one that came to mind, but like I said, in general, love triangles just aren't my thing because. You can ask my partner anytime we're watching something. I'm like, I just want them to be happy. Please just let them be happy. And he's like, yeah, that's not how horror movies work. And I'm like, yeah, I know. <laughs> but then I I don't think I've ever actually been part of a love triangle. I think in high school when I was a very overdramatic teen, I thought that I was because the guy that I had been quote unquote dating for like three years in junior high and high school Started liking another girl and never actually like had a conversation with me and so i thought that i was in this love triangle and it was very dramatic and looking back i'm like "Mm, no you're fine
2: (laughs) (laughs) okay hi i'm jason um my pronouns are he him and uh the the first one that came to my mind on the love triangle that i just love and i love Love Triangles because I love the drama and I love the TV that's involved in it. <laughs> um for me though is the Hunger Games between Katniss Everdeen, Peter Mullark, mm-hmm. and Gail Hawthorne. I was team PETA through all of the books, and then I became absolutely team PETA um in the movies because I was in love with the actor. <laughs> Who's the actor remind me who the actor was? I, I can't remember his name. Um Josh. Oh, jo- oh yeah, Josh. Um Hutch Hutch yeah, Yes. Very much so. And so when he like won out, but it was kind of a weird situation. But yeah, for me, I've never been involved in a love triangle. Kind of like Heather. I think I was kind of the same. Like in high school, there may have been like when I'm gay. And so there may have been like some like when I was straight, you know, back then. There may have been sometimes where I was like, oh my gosh, like I like so and so, but she likes someone else. But really, I didn't like her. I was just faking it. She, 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 you wait your you're favorite. gay oh is this my coming out is, is, this for me to, is, this, is this the opportunity for me to come out i'm gay
3: <laughs> and i'm colby he him his um so love triangles in a fictional story i was thinking about this and actually riverdale came to mind because <laughs> i love riverdale i'm yes i'm that person um, with Betty and, uh... Um, Veronica. Veronica, yeah. Oh, my gosh. And Archie. And Archie. I mean, but who wouldn't want Archie? Let's be honest. I'm just... Okay, quite but who fine. wouldn't want Veronica? Let's okay, okay. <laughs> I wasn't thinking about Veronica. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, that was not in my like Wait, well, you're here, too? <laughs> just
1: for the record, I'm the only one in this room who's attracted to women, so... <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
3: Um, And then in real life, um, I was thinking about this, and actually in high school, there was a girl that I wanted to date, but she was dating somebody else, so I hung out with her and her boyfriend a lot, which maybe was a little awkward, but we were were pretty good friends before they started dating anyway, so, you know. And now, now I'm gay, so, well, I guess I always
0: was. (laughs) You always were. (laughs) Uh, to comment, uh, on, on your story just then, Heather, my sister is gay. I have a gay sister. And when I was at her wedding, she and her fiance, uh, soon to be wife, uh, and all of their bridesmaids are all lesbians. And just me and them went out to get drinks one night, but then my straight nephew joined us and we're sitting around the table, sitting cocktails, sipping cocktails. And my nephew says, Whoa, it just dawned on me. I'm the only one who likes girls here. Uh, (laughs) wait, wait, no. Sorry, I just said that wrong. He said, just do on me. Chad's the only one who likes boys here. Everyone else at the table was either lesbian or straight. And it was this bizarre moment with this kid that I saw grow up. So that <laughs> happens to us sometimes. Uh, my name is Chad. I use he, him pronouns. Uh, Archie, Betty, and Veronica comes to my mind as well. But from the comics, yes. like oh. Archie's been around forever. Oh, yeah. and I the used old, to buy those comics at the
1: grocery store. Yeah,
0: yeah, them. the old comics. Uh, and then I, <laughs> I almost hate that this came to mind, but Edward and oh, uh, yes. Jacob and Bella. From Twilight, uh, you've seen Twilight. <laughs> yeah, I've read Twilight. Uh, He's a oh man, man. my of course he <laughs> <laughs> But of I've seen that. <laughs> do we, uh, oh, masterpiece? Do we love ourselves a love triangle when we get
2: that storyline? Opinions.
1: It depends on how much I like each of the characters. Okay, agreed.
2: I would agree because <laughs> I'm not a fan of the love triangle in um, the Bella. The Twilight series, um, the movie made it really nice. Though so it made it like some really good, like terrible cin- cinematography and terrible uh, movies, but it was not generally.
0: Uh, I think it depends on the story, of course. Yeah. I think every rom com we've ever seen has some sort of love triangle, and I vastly prefer it when they make the third point of the triangle like a likable, relatable character, mm-hmm. as opposed to like some stupid moron or some villain or like some stinky guy with a terrible laugh, like where you're just like ugh, choose the hero already. But I do like it when it's compelling storytelling, when you like yeah. are are invested. Uh, and the reason we ask this question, we're starting to see more and more in the comics, the love triangle between Cyclops and Jean Grey and Angel kind of developing, uh, even though Professor X and Beast are also secretly in love with Jean Grey. Bleh, uh, we we do get to see an active uh, love triangle uh, kind of developing. So we're going to start with uh, X-Men number 22 today, which brings in a ton of obscure villains, from uh, other non-X-related comic books. So we've seen the X-Men introduce new characters like Kesar. We've seen them cross over with the Avengers and Namor. Uh, the Human but Torch. This, the Human Torch. But this in this issue, we get to see uh, villains from other series kind of pulled in for the first time. Uh, we still haven't seen Spider-Man in the book. We'll get there eventually. But we we get to see these just kind of throwaway villains from all over the place. Uh, so I'm actually really excited to talk about them today, because that's my favorite thing, is obscure Marvel nonsense from the 60s. Uh, so initially, as we begin, let's just look at the cover. What were some of your reactions uh, about the cover of X-Men 22? We have a giant Count Nefaria uh, standing over a team of bizarre-looking villains Ah, uh, with the heads of the X Men kind of floating in the air, reacting. What were some of your initial thoughts here?
1: Count Nefaria looks like a stage magician from that time period. <laughs> He's got the tux, like the three piece tux, and the cape. He's got the monocle going, and even like the ruffled shirt. And he has his arms thrown out with his holding his cape, and he looks like stage magician. But he's
2: also like a little Dracula-esque. A
1: little bit, but i more got stage magician yeah. than anything else.
2: <laughs> I just think how long did it take for him to get ready, you know, in the <laughs> morning? Like, what is going on? Like he's He going understood to have a... the assignment. He did. Oh, yes. absolutely he did. <laughs> in those high-waisted pants. Like,
1: to his nipples.
0: So we're going to get more to him in a minute, but I'll tell you a brief thing about him. Uh, he's only appeared in the Avengers prior to this. And he's noted as the richest man in Europe in that comic book. And he wants to intimidate the Avengers because he's part of, like, the illegal... They can't call it the Mafia in the comics, so they call it the Maggia. M-A-G-G-I-A. Because the Comics Code (laughs) Authority, which we've talked about on the podcast before. Anyway, in order to intimidate the Avengers, he takes his family's ancestral castle in, like, Italy or wherever... And has it transported across the ocean brick by brick and then rebuilt in New Jersey. Okay,
1: that's a very Dracula thing to
0: do. Yeah. <laughs> so just as you see him dressed all fancy, just keep in mind he literally rebuilt his castle brick by brick, uh, which must have cost much more than he's about to sue Washington, DC for. <laughs> we'll talk about that today. <laughs> uh, other reactions to the covers. What were some of or the cover? What were some of your thoughts on these? Ridiculous villains.
2: Well, I will say so. When I was growing up, and I would um, play with like my my brother, and we would act like we were fighting. I always wanted to be the villain because they always have the cool costumes, and I always wanted to be the person who like was dressed cool and had the cool powers. And so when I saw that they were gonna be talking about all these super villains today, I got really excited. And they did not disappoint. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll talk about each
0: of the villains as they appear in the issue. But uh, any other thoughts on the cover before we move in? And on we go. We do get uh, we do get the the blurb on the cover that says, "Gangway, here comes a startling stampede of yesteryear's most sensational supervillains." So all of these villains we're going to talk about today are one offs from other Marvel magazines, non X related. So we'll talk about them in a minute. <clears throat> so this issue is called Divided We Fall. It's by Roy Thomas and Jay Gavin, who we've said multiple times is a uh, cover name for Warner Roth. Uh, we, uh, we open to see the X-Men back in the danger room, and uh, Professor X has prepared a special threat for them to face. He says that we have faced a couple of robot uh, menaces recently, the Sentinels, Master Mold, as well as Dominus. And the uh, Ultra Robots. And so he wants to, he's prepared a special robot for them to fight. On the bottom in the credits, we talked about Irving Forbush last week. But there's a cute little mention that colosso has been created by Irving Forbush Robotics Inc. Has nothing to do with the comic book. It's just kind of a Marvel silly. They toss in the name Irving Forbush once in a while because it's just a ridiculous name. Uh, So it's kind of like a Groucho Marx type joke that you would just work into every skit. So that always makes me smile. Uh, What do you uh, what were some of your reactions to this uh, cover page with the X-Men facing the threats of Colosso?
1: None of them have pupils.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Their soulless eyes.
0: (laughs) I think their masks are new somehow. They've got like uh, eye holes they're looking through. Uh, we have uh, we have Jean saying that apparition. It's huge. We're all dwarfed by its shadow. I myself have a huge apparition.
2: <laughs> That's literally. I wrote that same thing in my notes.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, I, wrote, <laughs> I love a a huge apparition.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh, dirty minds think alike. <laughs> um, we also we also have Cyclops with the line. Uh, get with it, Bobby. We've licked robots before and we'll give this one the same treatment.
1: That just sounds like they're going to get electrocuted. If you lick robots, you're going to get electrocuted, friends. Don't
0: yeah. kink shame like, him. That is not so where like, I went. Oh, yeah, putting your tongue on a battery. We did not
1: kink shame in this house, but I'm just saying it sounds dangerous to lick robots. What did
0: you say, Colby? <laughs> it
3: sounds like you're putting your tongue on a battery. Oh, that's unpleasant. That, like,
0: oh, yeah. Yeah, don't. For those of you listening at home, don't lick any robots. Uh, As we flip the page, we see the giant-ass robot that Professor X has designed for the X-Men. Was it a
3: giant-ass robot? It's a giant-ass robot, not a giant-ass robot. Those
0: are two very different things. Uh, And it's uh, it's Colosso. What are your thoughts on Colosso and his design?
1: My thought is, because Professor X built the thing, right?
0: Yes. Or at least had it built.
1: Okay. Then why have they had so many issues... With robots in the past, if Professor X can build a better one, yeah. <laughs> why has he been sending the X-Men to go fight these fucking robots when he can build an into- like a better one? I don't,
3: I don't understand. Yeah, I, mean, I do. Want,
1: I know the answer to that question, and it's because Charles is a dick. <laughs> <But laughs> it still stands.
2: <laughs> uh, what did you guys think of Colosso? Um, you know, I thought he was a little plain from an aesthetic point of view. But you know what? I guess if you're more he's more form over, I mean more function over form, right? And so I I thought like the aesthetic was fine. You I have, have more light. as we move on about what he's capable of doing. Yeah. Mhm. Mhm. He's very flashy. <laughs>
0: I kind of like that he doesn't have, like, a human face. I think yeah, it's he's kind of a cool, like, volcano-ish, almost, design. Like, a little, little outer spacey. Uh, we will see Colosso again, for those that want to look him up. He appears a couple of times uh, in the future in uh, X-Men number 110, which we'll never get to in this podcast. And also, not the regular Fantastic Four series, but a side series that was done years ago called Fantastic Four, the world's greatest comics magazine, number three. So if you want to see more of Colosso, that's the only places you'll ever find him. Uh, Another note about robots with the X-Men, the X-Men currently have their own nation on the island of Krakoa. And one of the things that they have labeled as their inevitable demise, no matter how long they exist there, is likely to be robot life. It's like the enemy of evolution. So there's a theme of X-Men fighting robots over and over and over Uh, entire races of robots uh, at times. So this is, I don't know, just kind of a little fun fact on the side there. Uh, The X-Men are training against uh, Colosso. Tell us a little bit about the the approaches that they try against this robot to defeat him.
1: Well, um, Angel flies at him and he's like, Somebody has to get the old ball rolling and it might as well be me. And he thinks that with his training, he's going to be able to fly circles around him. And then he gets laser shot and he falls to the earth because he's paralyzed and can't fly.
2: I also love, like, he's, like, calming them down. D- don't worry, Worry Warts. I'll yeah. take care of this. <laughs> <laughs> Let me do my thing, you know? And it did not work well it, for it him. No. Well. He became paralyzed. And he fell to the ground.
0: Iceman tries to put uh, an ice puddle underneath him.
3: It's worked before. It's an ice skating
0: rink. (laughs) It did. It worked on the Sentinels. But this time, Colosso is equipped with some sort of like hot jets out of his feet. So he melts the ice. Jean tries to knock Colosso over, but it doesn't work. Uh, Cyclops tries to blast it, but what happens? It comes back.
1: It's made of a material that repels the beam, he should have
0: guessed. (laughs) Uh, Beast launches at it and just gets kind of knocked back. Uh, How do they eventually learn to defeat Colosso who is seemingly undefeatable?
2: Teamwork. Teamwork. It's the dream work.
1: They can succeed by working together, you guys. Now, I had a question.
2: (laughs) Have they in the past when they've done these little tests or when they've Fought other villains are they going at it individually or is there always usually. this the, okay so yeah. is this kind of the first time they're like wait a second well i mean they Maybe always we're better end up together. working
1: together but usually at the beginning they're like oh individual attacks even okay. though anyone can tell you that's not the best way to do yeah. it yeah but but know,
0: in the first five pages of the book yeah. we see him we see them each getting defeated when they work alone and the name of the issue is divided we fall and you know this is a like preface for what's about to happen as they go about facing villains on their own uh how do they eventually defeat colosso though they pull the wool over his
3: eyes <laughs> <laughs> Literally, I mean, I'm assuming it's a
0: wool blanket. (laughs) Marvel Girl's being held in the robot's claws, and she lifts the blanket off of Professor X's lap and drops it over the sensors on the top of this robot's head. So it can repel ice, it can repel optic blasts, but a blanket... No! too (laughs) much! It is its weakness. Not a blanket, not again! Uh... (laughs) We also get Beast calling Jean female, or girl, one more time. No, it's female. He calls her female. When
1: Hank McCoy says the word female, he is so fucking slappable. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Every time.
0: uh, We just finished uh, a couple of weeks ago on the podcast, The Trial of the Scarlet Witch, and I'm completely seeing the character differently now after all of the intense research I did on her, uh, just as I do Professor X. I'm currently researching The Beast or Hank McCoy, because we're doing a trial on him in a few weeks. Uh, And I love bouncy beast with his big feet. I love him, but his misogyny makes me want to punch him in the face. The current beast is awful, but I love this beast. Uh, uh, Once they have defeated Colosso, the uh, the X-Men are rewarded with a two-week vacation. (laughs) Professor X is feeling sad, and he wants the mansion to himself. Uh, what were, <laughs> what were some of your thoughts on this scene as he tells them they get two weeks off?
2: Well, they're teenagers, right? Uh-huh. So I was kind of surprised, like, oh, okay. Like they get time off from school. So that's good. But then I was very surprised. I maybe we're, this is jumping ahead a little bit, but I was very surprised. They're like, we're going to New York. And I was like, well, they're really in New York. Oh, they are. Yeah. Okay. Well, they're, you. they're in like, they're like an hour from New yeah. York. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> thank but you.
1: But aren't they in New York state? Yeah, yeah. They're, they're in, in the West, city, right? Westchester counties.
0: That are above oh, so the they're above the city. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Okay. And so it's not all that, it's not as expensive for them to get. Excellent. To Excellent. Yeah.
0: Yeah. The X Men live in Salem Center, Westchester County, New York. Lovely. Random. But, <laughs> but that's what it is. Uh, <laughs> Professor X uh, is. Oh, before we get that, we see some kind of intense focus on the love triangle that we'll talk more about in a minute. Uh, Jean is pining after Scott, Angel's pining after Jean, Angel invites D- Jean to dinner, and she invites Scott to come along. <laughs> oh no! That's like Archie asking Veronica, and she just brings Betty along anyway.
3: <laughs> Which I think happened, actually, in the second episode.
0: <laughs> I'm sure that that's a plotline regularly used. Uh, we also see Jean mention for the first time that she has a sister. She's going to go visit her sister in Albany. Uh, Kind of an obscure X-Men character, but there's a a girl named Sarah Gray, who is her sister. Uh, She marries a man with the last name Bailey, and they have two children named Joey and Galen, who later go on to be revealed as mutants. Uh, They're all dead in the comics currently. Sarah's killed in an alien invasion in the far future. We actually won't physically see her until X-Men number 136, if I'm remembering right. Uh, But this is the first mention that Jean has a sister. We've met her mom and dad very briefly. Okay, so bottom panel here. The students are all leaving. Professor X is sitting there uh, thinking to himself, looking very anguished. One hand on face, the other clenched into a fist. And he says, they can walk in the sunshine, feel the wind striking their faces while I am confined to this wheelchair, a hopeless cripple. If they're... Uh, is there no chance for me? Will I never walk again? I can't accept that fate. I can't.
1: Jesus Christ, man. Get it together. So, <laughs>
0: we've talked about how Stan Lee will often create characters with disabilities. Daredevil is blind, mm-hmm. etc. Spider-Man's the, the science nerd as opposed to the athlete. We see characters... That's not a disability. But we see characters <laughs> with different uh, different proclivities that are like not the normal storytelling trend. Professor X from the very start has been in a wheelchair. We've just learned how he got in the wheelchair. Uh, But although he comes across as relatively helpless sometimes in the comics, he's also got the most powerful brain on Earth, and he's, like, basically a billionaire. So here we see this man calling himself, quote, a hopeless cripple while he's, you know, wishing he could walk again. What were some of your thoughts about this?
1: He says they can walk in the sunshine, feel the wind striking their faces. Yeah, you can do that too, bud. (laughs) Go Go outside. Get some vitamin D. You need it. (laughs)
3: Well, and not to mention, since he can make robots, like if he's so ter- like he wants to walk, right? I feel like he could make some robotic
0: legs if he really wanted to. Mm-hmm.
1: He makes his underground wheelchair. Why does he make robot legs? He gets yeah. a
0: hover chair later. Yeah, but we also saw him in his in his spelunking wheelchair. This yeah. is a man who traveled to Europe and like got himself a battle chair and went down into caves to find an alien. Like he's not helpless, but hopeless. In
3: this, (laughs) I think
0: think if you suffer a big injury and you have a disability, you obviously have the right to grieve that disability and to feel sad. We don't even have to call it feeling sorry for yourself. You certainly have the right to be traumatized and grieving. I think the problem here is we have, I think the term most frequently used now is ableism. Uh, racism is against race, ableism against people Mm -hmm. of different abilities. And we have ableist writers who assume that this character just must hate being a cripple and he must want to walk more than anything. Uh, Also, the word cripple is problematic, but used in the text here because it was the 1960s. Uh, Any thoughts about this kind of ableist mindset? What do we wish Professor X was thinking here instead?
1: I mean, on the one hand, at least he's not, I don't know which is worse. Probably the ableist thoughts, if we're being real. But at least he's not thinking, oh, I'm so in love with Jean Grey. She could never know.
0: Yeah. (laughs) I think often when we see characters in wheelchairs, and uh, even in a lot of today's media, we either see them uh, as someone to be pitied or someone to be found inspirational. Like, oh, look at what you've overcome. And that's a problem. Those are ableist ideas. We just need to see regular characters interacting with other characters and some are in wheelchairs just like some are gay we don't have to be the villains or the foppish you know girl best friends in the rom-coms like for for so many years gay people were only portrayed in one or two ways in 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 films so now that we're becoming richer characters we need that same thing for characters with disabilities as well any final thoughts on that before we move on uh, okay, so we <laughs> jump into the secret lair of Count Nefaria. He uh, has reestablished his Magia connections. He's appeared previously in Avengers number 13, uh, as well as Tales of Suspense number 68, I believe. Now, this character, uh, what are some of your thoughts just on him as a villain? Besides his stage makeup or costume, uh, what what are some of your thoughts on him as a villain with these resources? (laughs) A non-powered, like, rich, crazy man. Correct.
1: Oh, I didn't know that. He has
0: technology that he uses to cast illusions, etc., but he has no superpowers. Uh, So let's talk about Count Nefaria as a villain really quick.
2: I mean... He has got quite the scorn, doesn't he? He's, seems quite scorned, and he's ready to take names and kick asses. So, <laughs> he's got the money to do it. Go ahead and do it, I guess. Let's see what that
3: scout looks like he needs little Botox. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: Heather,
0: any thoughts on him as a villain?
1: Um, I think it's interesting that, because I, like I said, I didn't know that he was non-powered until you just said that. And so it's interesting to me that he is able to hold the sway over the powered villains because from past experience, the supervillain mutants are a little bit egotistical, you know, because you have Unus and the Blob and Magneto and stuff. And so they're a little bit egotistical. And so it's interesting to me that they would let a regular homo sapien lead them
0: <laughs> well none of these villains in this issue are mutants oh are in, they not in this comic they're all just like thugs they're all like I thugs who totally get their misunderstood this whole who thing who love costumes <laughs> yeah every every villain in this is non-powered they all derive their powers uh, from technology or suits I see. And yes, we'll read them for filth affording, uh, <laughs> uh, regarding their costumes in a minute. Count Nefaria is a very Lex Luthor type villain. He's the very pulling the strings. He writes the paychecks. Uh, now, he is the father of a very famous Iron Man villain named Madame Mask, for those that care. He's a huge Avengers foe. And there's a storyline far in the future where he steals superpowers from other villains and takes them upon himself and retains them permanently. So he is now like a like a Superman-level-powered villain in some ways. He can fly and shoot lasers, and he's super strong. Uh, so he's gone on to be quite a formidable threat. Now, in X-Men mythos, he's most famous for being... The, the X-Men uh, later, after you know Wolverine and Storm and everybody come into the team, uh, they fight Count Nefaria, and one of their original members, a, a Native American super-powered character named Thunderbird, dies in that mission. And he's never been revived in the comics, uh, well... A few brief times for a day or so. Then he he always dies again. But Count Nefaria is the villain they're fighting when Thunderbird dies. So long-term X-Men fans will associate him with that. Uh, What is uh, Count Nefaria's plot here? He's heard about the X-Men.
2: They don't have a great reputation right now. So he's like, I can get them to work for me. And that's the plan.
1: They Get must them. and shall become I can pay them enough. my allies. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: we're, we're starting to see this bromance between Iceman, who's closeted, and Beast, who I think is also closeted. We've talked about that a few times. I think he's a little gay. Uh, but they're mm-hmm. off into the city for a couple weeks. Tell us, uh, <laughs> who wants to tell us about some of their little mishaps here in the first couple pages? Well,
3: where should we begin? <laughs>
2: I I personally I found so I think out of I'm probably the most uh, of those in this room I'm guessing I'm the one who came out of the closet the most recently most recently yes Um, and so I see a lot of like me trying to fit into heteronormative society as a straight person happening in their little escapage in Greenwich Village of all places yeah which I thought was just a beautiful setting for all this to happen as well (laughs) because it is just like Gay mecca in Greenwich Village, and I love Greenwich Village for that very reason. Sure,
0: uh, and Iceman, although homosexually closeted, they're also yes. both closeted as mutants here. They're they're mm. dating these girls without saying who they really are. So we've met Zelda and Vera at this point. Uh, Heather, tell us tell us what happens with Beast. Oh uh, yeah, just yeah. just this whole section is amazing.
1: <laughs> so they get to where they're meeting the girls, and Zelda's there, and she and Bobby, you know. She's giving him a hard time and asking if she's going to have to pay for the date, because that makes sense. She's the one with the job. (laughs) (laughs) And then Beast is like, hey, I think I see Vera now. And he taps on this person's shoulder and says, salutation's beauteous one. Your punctuality shall be rewarded by an excursion to the local cinema, followed by a luxurious malted. (laughs) What's your reaction to that glorious message, Vera? Like... What the fuck, man? But, but then like that. this person turns around and is not, in fact, Vera, but is, in fact, a gentleman named Waldo. With the cutest little there's pixie cut you've ever cut. seen. So cute. Cut.
3: Say <laughs> so he probably should go to a different hairstylist because he has the same haircut.
0: Colby, did you just say, there's Waldo? Yes. <laughs> we found him.
1: And then Vera shows up and she says, well, Mr. McCoy, if you're quite finished making a fool of yourself.
0: (laughs) I love this moment so much. Because you would think that this man would likely have a different shape than Vera. She's like a little skinny librarian. He's wearing a big suit jacket and has got broad shoulders.
3: If we just said the Beast is a little gay, I mean, maybe he's more (laughs) attracted to the broad-shouldered man.
0: Beast has a type. It just doesn't revolve around gender at all. (laughs) Oh, Waldo. Oh, what? Maybe they're secretly seeing each other on the side now. <laughs> uh, we also get a space where where Vera calls Iceman cool, and then and then Beast thinks, "Oh, if only you knew." No, Zelda
1: says that.
0: Oh, that's what I meant. Excuse me. Zelda says uh, calls calls Bobby cool, and Beast thinks, "If only you knew," because he's closeted Iceman. You know, of course. Uh, so cute. Uh, we then shift over to dinner. Warren has taken Scott and Jean out to a very fancy dinner for some filet mignon, uh, and what happens?
1: He doesn't let Scott pay for his own meal which I think hurts his pride a little bit Um, (laughs) and then he's like alright well we gotta be going so I'm gonna help Jean with her coat and get her to her train and he says can we drop you anywhere Scotty and he says no thanks I'm meeting some people near here I'm late now I'll see you in two weeks and then there's a lot of pining there's so much pining because then in the car Jean's (laughs) sitting there thinking oh Scott Scott Warren is a wonderful guy, but when will you see that it's you who, whom I love? While Angel's sitting there thinking, Jean's so quiet, so pensive. Maybe she's finally begin, beginning to feel about me the way I do about her. Even though he knows that's not true. <laughs> she only
0: loves you for your money. <laughs> that's
3: why she's not looking at you and not saying a word to you. She really loves you. Your
0: money and your abs. That's all she wants. <laughs> I mean, who I'm, could want I'm more? I'm not even sure that she actually
1: <laughs> wants him. Like, I don't think she's ever. <clears throat> really made it clear that like oh yeah we're totally dating it's just like he's like hey can I drop you off the train station but let me get you dinner first and she's like yeah okay <laughs> and, and then Reed Scott goes the on his very sad way <laughs> looking oh so sad walking down the streets of New York and decides to walk through Central Park
0: he's so lonely he's so quiet and repressed we again we still have not learned he's an orphan there's a lot to, to learn about Mr. Cyclops still but Uh, he sees an illusion of Marvel Girl in the trees uh, that's being cast by Count Nefaria, and he goes running after it. Uh, Meanwhile, Marvel Girl, uh, who is at Grand Central Station off to go visit her sister, hears about the X-Men flying over Central Park. Again, it's just illusions. All of the X-Men are slowly summoned to Central Park where they find different enemies uh, waiting. Uh, So Jean Grey ends up fighting uh, Plant Man. Before we talk about this battle, let's just read Plant Man for a minute. What do you think of his his
2: costume? What can we I talk love about Plant Man? I mean, absolutely, one hundred percent. We also like the name. These names that we're gonna go over as well. These are the worst, right? Like, if I'm gonna become a villain, I'm not gonna be what my costume is. That's for sure.
0: Plant Man or Poison Ivy? Who wore it better? Oh,
2: Poison, Poison Ivy, Ivy. with Shred those King? lips. Absolutely.
0: Plant Man is uh, in a head-to-toe green tights with lime green boots and, like, a little foliage cape. And then, somehow, as if that's not bad enough, it's a w- yellow mask with, like, leaves over his eyes.
3: Do you know who he looks like? He looks like the Green Giant from, like, you know, the Green Beans. Like, oh, kind of. The Green Giant. Yes. His little friend Sprout. Like, uh <laughs>
0: Yeah, he, I, I don't know. He needs to leave Marvel Girl alone. No, <laughs> hey. well, he doesn't do that. Let me tell you a little bit about Plant Man really fast. Uh, so he first appeared in Strange Tales number 113. He's a Human Torch villain, Human Torch we've met. He's the teenage member of the Fantastic Four. He had like a little series on the side. Uh, Plant Man's real name is Samuel Smithers. Uh (laughs) He is a gardener uh, slash botanist who designed a gun to make plants grow faster. But one day while using the gun, he's struck by lightning and it gives him plant powers. But mostly we see him kind of commanding plant life. And then he has, like, little guns that will shoot, like, chloro gas and different things. So he does have powers. He does have plant control powers. My apologies. Even by electricity. Yes, mm. because that would not kill you, <laughs> clearly.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, plant Man goes on to be pretty powerful. He's in the comics every couple of years. He did join the Thunderbolts for a while, for those that are
2: that are caring. What are your reactions to Plant Man's origins, hearing them the first time? I love the name Smithers. I mean, I'd want a different right? name if my last name were Smithers as well. Absolutely.
3: <laughs> Still could have come up with a better one, though. <laughs> oh, yeah.
1: I mean. I'm still a fan. Yeah, yeah, I
0: like him. I I like him too. So, uh, how does he defeat Marvel Girl?
1: With chloroform gas.
3: Gasses her
0: out. Wraps her up in branches and then shoots her in the
2: face with chloroform gas. Oh no! That looks like the gun. Looks like the Millennium Falcon, but really, this would have been pre-Millennium Falcon. Ooh, it Falcon, right? Does look like the Millennium yeah. Falcon.
0: Yeah, maybe that's where they stole their design from Plant Man. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Plant Man's got something <laughs> going
3: on
0: here. That's amazing. Uh, we then see, you know, Cyclops is coming further into the park. Uh, Angel is driving away, but he hears about the X Men, so he parks his car, flies into Central Park, where he ends up fighting the Scarecrow. Not to be confused with, with the famous Batman yeah. villain, uh, well, or the guy from similar. or the guy from the Wizard of Oz. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> before <Right>. we <laughs> before we continue, let's uh, let's read the Scarecrow's fashion. What were some of your thoughts?
1: I mean, in fairness, that's kind of
0: I mean,
3: the most
1: original name. I mean, take that with a grain of salt, because that's not saying a whole lot. <laughs> but I like that he has his little bird friends, his little crows.
2: And how fitting capturing. to be in Central Park, the Pigeon lady's probably not very far away. <laughs> so, they probably uh, know each other.
0: Colby, what is the scarecrow wearing?
3: Well, he's wearing this lovely jumpsuit with a belt. <laughs> yes. so he gives a little flare to the bottom, you know. <laughs> and then this hood that like what does his actual head look like under there and also question like does his mouth move like how how is this you know working
0: I it's guess. like a jack-o'-lantern yeah. face yeah, cut into a yeah. sack a uh the scarecrow first appears in tales of suspense number 51 uh his real name is ebenezer lofton uh he is a that's a I know. He is a contortionist who joins the circus and uses the name Umberto the Uncanny, but then decides that he wants to commit crimes. So there's another person in the circus who has trained crows. So he takes the crows and uses them to help him steal things. Uh, and that's where that's his his origin into <laughs> being the Scarecrow. Now, later, he goes on to be like demonically powered. Uh, he's even like a crazy serial killer later in the comics. He's super creepy. But what are your
2: thoughts on hearing the Scarecrow's origins?
1: I think I like him a little bit more now than I did when I was originally reading this. Mm-hmm.
2: And And, you know, that circus to crime pathway is littered with people.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, he's the <laughs> it's a natural
2: progression. The circus to crime pathway. That sounds like a book
0: just waiting to be written. Uh, and uh, of course, the scarecrow defeats Angel how?
1: With a fly paper net.
0: The crows drop a net on his head, and then he's done for. Because you know what a what a better way to get a bird.
3: <laughs> Is it? <laughs>
0: We flashback to Bobby and Iceman who are still hanging out with Vera and Zelda. Uh, what, we get more amusement here. What would you guys like to talk about?
2: I had... Okay. Well, I love just, like, the fiddling. They just, like, don't quite know what to do in this situation. Mm-hmm. They're like, it seems very uncomfortable. <laughs> the whole situation. Like, she, the Vera, um, you know, is... Or, or Zelda's going to get some snacks, right? And they're like, "Well, okay, that'll be great." But then you start hearing the mute or the 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 reports. You don't quite know what's going on. Um, it's just a very awkward situation all the way around for all of them. And how many? I don't know.
0: For those of us that pretended to be straight for a long time, how many high school dates does this describe? Where you're like, "Oh, we can't sit too close, and I better <laughs> go get some snacks now." Oh. I
3: took that to the ultimate and um, the girl that I was quote unquote dating at the time I took her to prom and I had not kissed her like we'd been dating for like two months and she really wanted me to kiss her that night and I was like oh I I think I have a cold sore I think I think we shouldn't do that so I like dated her for like three months and we never kissed during that time but
0: I uh I once dated someone for six years without kissing them and they finally confronted me and then I came out and then I had my first kiss that's a real story. Yeah.
2: That's the first time I'm hearing this story. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yep. It, there's wow. a,
0: yep. Anyway, uh, so the the Beast, and, uh, Beast and, and Iceman hear about the illusions of the X-Men in the park, so they find a reason to rush off. They say the news has excited us. We better go back to the hotel and take some tranquilizers. <laughs> Why a
3: tranquilizer? Mine. It's like...
1: and... Well, that's what they called, like, the chill pills. Oh, tranquilizers.
0: And the girls are upset. Vera was just promised some Beethoven, and now she is left with no man at her side, and she is not having it. Hand
3: on her hip and all.
0: (laughs) So they split up. Beast rushes into Central Park, where he is confronted by the porcupine. Uh, Let's uh, let's talk about the porcupine's costume. (laughs) Oh, my. That is the thing
3: of nightmares right there. What is it? It looks like... It looks like it's made of, like, straw or bamboo or something.
2: Oh, bamboo's a great description.
3: Um,
1: but the shape of it almost looks like a terracotta warrior. Oh, yes, that's oh. exactly what I
3: was thinking.
0: It gives me a little bit of, like, a Viet Cong vibe, yes. too. Yes. Yeah. Like, the kind of thing you'd wear to hide in the marsh. Uh, mm-hmm. He's got, like, a gas mask on. So, the, the porcupine's costume is covered in weaponized quills. Some of them can shoot things, like gas or lasers, uh, he has a control panel on his belt so he can operate the quills uh, and like shoot them through, through this belt. So the porcupine first appeared in Tales to Astonish number 48. His real name is Alexander Gentry. Uh, he is a weapons designer for the military who built this porcupine suit to be used in combat. But they laughed at him so he turned to crime and wore the porcupine suit himself. Uh, he first fights Ant-Man and the Wasp who have this whole... Their early series has the worst and most amazing villains of all of Marvel <laughs> history. We've talked about a little bit about that before. In the far future, he's fighting Captain America, and he trips, and one of his quills pierces him in the heart, and he dies. That's a real story that happens in the 90s. Uh, so tell me some of your thoughts on hearing Porcupine's origin story.
1: See, I thought he was kind of cool until I heard his origin story. <laughs> scarecrow, I like him a little bit less now, but also... What is that name? What's the
2: names <laughs> I know the lack of originality with all of these people mm-hmm.
0: uh, I think the porcupine is the most formidable vil- formidable villain of the three, which isn't saying much, but still uh, the other two stories are nonsense. He's like a military guy, right? like yeah. he's got like a weapons weaponized suit uh, he fires some stuff at beast who evades and uh, <laughs> how does he defeat him? With a a... hypno-disc.
1: Hypnotic disc.
2: Flashes through the air and then Beast is done for. (laughs) But I do love how um, it's the Beast speaking, right? How the Beast was quite impressed by his vocabulary. Yeah. (laughs) was smart.
1: (laughs) Yeah, your your voluminous vocabulary is most heartening, my loquacious chum.
0: (laughs) See, early Beast is so fun.
1: (laughs) He's so pretentious.
0: Uh, Iceman then arrives in Central Park chasing another illusion, this one of himself, and he fights the eel. Tell me about the eel's costume. Oh, God, I love a
2: good bodysuit, you know? <laughs> a, a purple bodysuit with some really nice, like, light blue Spanx and gloves and half of his head blue. I'm here for it. RuPaul would not allow this on her stage. No, absolutely not. But you know what? I would wear it.
1: <laughs> I think his costume looks the most like a villain's costume that we expect to find at this time.
0: Yes. Mm-hmm. It's the laziest costume.
1: I'm not saying it's not, but it's this the isn't... one that we expect. But I, Yeah, I get it. I get it.
3: <laughs> I mean, is it the laziest though? Because, I mean, Iceman, he's over here just in his underwear. <laughs> <laughs> the laziest villain costume. Okay,
0: uh, Okay. so Eel's real name is Leopold Strike. Oh, dude. He first appeared in Strange Tales number 112, where he is a guy working in an aquarium as a curator, uh, and he's trying to sell nuclear weapons on the side. And then he also designs this suit. It's like a slippery suit that can go through the water quickly, slide through things, and uh, also he can discharge electricity. So it's a full body combat. <laughs> Pretty he amazing. uh he's also a human torch villain he'll later go on to uh join the fellowship of fear uh, the Dar- daredevil group uh and then he's killed in a Rider number 21 years later uh what are your thoughts on hearing the eels nonsense origin story
1: he should have just stayed an aquarium curator that's like a dream job
2: oh, uh-huh. <laughs> Or, or like, just stuck with the nuclear thing. I mean, if you got both going on, like, pick a lane, you know? And it sounds like he found a good combination.
0: I don't know. I give him credit for living his dream. He wanted mm. to wear a slippery condom suit and fight <laughs> teenagers. And he did it by damn. He did it.
3: Probably shouldn't be doing that in their teenagers. <laughs>
0: <laughs> there's a... If you guys watched The Watchmen on HBO, there's a random clip that never gets explained about a man wearing a slippery bodysuit. And uh, and uh, Sister Knight chases him down, and he like jumps into a sewer grate, like like Pennywise, it like little sewer grate slot, and he like slides through and disappears. It's like no, and it made me think of the eel. Uh, so for those of you that watched that that Rubber Man, uh, the eel fights Iceman Man uh, and does not win because Cyclops comes in and blasts him from behind. And then both Cyclops and Iceman are attacked by the Unicorn, our final villain introduction today. fuck. Oh, Tell me your thoughts about the Unicorn's costume.
1: What the actual fuck? <laughs> what
3: is that, like, helmet thing? Like, why does it have wings? It's like a stingray on his head.
0: It's a power horn. Yeah.
2: My
1: horn 40. will pierce
2: the sky. Isn't that from... Oh, that's from a Christmas movie. Back on back of the day. <laughs> I don't know.
3: Wait, what?
2: I do not recall this movie. I don't remember what it's called either.
0: Are you a little sad he doesn't look like an actual horse unicorn? Yes.
1: Yeah. If you're going to be called the unicorn, then commit.
3: Well, and then he's got like these big kind of hole things like on the sides of his mask that will live. It's like a big hole with like red something in it. It's, it's like weird.
0: It's kind of like serpentine a little bit. It's like snakehead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, now, I feel out of this issue, actually, storytelling potential-wise, the unicorn is actually the most villainous or has the most potential to be a good villain. Uh, his real name is uh, Milos Mazurik. Uh, he's Russian. Uh, he first appears in Tales of Suspense number 56. He's got connections to an Iron Man villain. It was like the Russian version of Iron Man. His name is the Crimson Dynamo. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a secret a- or Soviet agent. He designs this suit. Uh, he fights Iron Man a few times. He's not in the comics much, but there's a much later storyline where this power horn he's wearing is actually mutating him and like causing deterioration because it's radioactive. Uh, he kind of's going insane. Uh, he's a villain in the current Iron Man books. For those that are re- reading Christopher Cantwell's amazing Iron Man series right now where he's fighting Korvac, uh, the unicorn is in that as well. So he's still around in the comics. Uh, what are your thoughts on hearing the unicorn's origin story?
1: 6 out of 10 yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm unimpressed. <laughs>
0: but we, you know we've got like a soviet agent with like military connections so that's I think that's why he's like the, the least silly of these
1: villains but I also think he either could have come up with a better name or a better costume yeah mm.
0: Fair so
3: enough. that made me just read everything in a completely different accent right me too <laughs> 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 Yeah.
0: well Count Nefaria is like Italian and we have like We have uh, the Unicorn, who is Russian. Uh, So the Unicorn (laughs) has some interesting exchanges with uh, Iceman. He's bragging about his power horn uh, over and over. He calls Iceman a stripling. Uh, Iceman tries to freeze his whole head, and uh, the power horn kind of blasts through it. We have Iceman saying, I'm putting that power horn of yours in cold storage. Which I think is something he says to his boyfriend.
3: Ice cube in your mouth.
0: The the term power. <laughs> yes, Colby, I heard that. For those of you, for those of you that are enjoying Colby on the podcast when he comes on, Colby is my real life best friend, and he's maybe the funniest person I know. And a lot of his jokes on this podcast are a little under his breath. But if you go back and listen to his episodes, there's some pretty good zingers along the way that are kind of amazing. Uh uh do either of do any of you wish you had a radioactive power horn? No. Mm. Why the fuck would I want that? <laughs>
3: yeah. yeah, I don't want to look like an idiot when no. you're with a power horn. Is that a
0: power horn on your head or are you just happy to see? <laughs> yes. That? Uh so uh unicorn is blasting uh uh Iceman who then gets zapped from behind by the eel who's still around and then unicorn zaps Cyclops and they are all unconscious. All five of the original X-Men are uh, are gathered up by Magia members. That's, again, the mafia in the comics. And taken to Count Nefaria.
2: Can I just say something real quick about the eel? Yeah. You know, at first I was like, this guy's not great. You know, he was taken out real fast. But you know what? He made quite the comeback. And I'm all for a comeback story. <laughs> so that was great.
0: There, uh, there are future versions of several of these characters. There's another eel running around. There's another plant man. There's another unicorn. There's another porcupine. When you have a classic moniker, you just want to keep it over and over again. <laughs> uh, so, who wants to talk about what happens when the when the villains take the X Men tied up back to Count Nefaria?
1: He's quite pleased.
0: <laughs> Ooh ha ha. <laughs> he-
1: um- they're all talking about how they've captured them. They're like, I captured the angel, captured unharmed. I captured the one known as the beast, also intact. And all this stuff. And then Cyclops and the Iceman, su- subdued by the eel and myself, have been stunned into submission. And he does not like He that. says, what did you say?
0: I made it thoroughly clear that you must be completely unharmed. This is a man with a very short fuse, Count Nefaria.
1: Just looking at him, you can tell he has a short fuse. Like, there's...
3: Well, and he's
0: got a cane now
3: all of a sudden that
0: I did not notice before. Accessorize. No. Accessorize. <laughs> yes. uh, Count Nefaria, we have some thought bubbles where he kind of considers these men his equals. But he's uh, he's just making sure he kind of stays on top and in, and in command. If he can keep them hating each other, if he can keep them kind of riled up and expecting that paycheck and grumpy, they're not going to turn against him. So kind of an interesting uh, villain strategy, which I appreciated. Uh, We see the X-Men all in bonds. Uh, Cyclops has like a a thing over his eyes. Uh, Jean Grey is on the floor, very femininely folding her hands behind her back while all the X-Men are strapped to the wall, which frankly, I'm glad Jean's not strapped to the wall. I think that would have been creepy somehow. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <It is. laughs> would have elicited bondage somehow so i'm glad she's but a
3: little more demure here i mean i feel like it does i mean that's it's what just... i thought
2: i was like wow this is like his own little dungeon here he's <laughs> a sex, <laughs> sex dungeon yeah
0: where he likes to capture superpowered teens and <laughs> chain them up <laughs> kinky count kind of Nefaria, which also by the way sounds like nefarious yes. obviously uh uh what's... he's very proud of that name <laughs> yes, he's mentioned it several that. times. His real name is Lucino Nefarious. Or no, no, Lucino Nefaria. Like, that's his actual last name. Uh, there's another villain called Nefarious. My apologies for the flip there. Uh, we finally learn on the final page what his plan is. Count Nefaria has gathered these five supervillains to work for him. Uh, he wants the X-Men captured so that he can...
1: Hold Washington D.C.
0: captive. Oh no! Before or, that,
1: oh.
2: he wants them to be his allies. He oh, wants it's...
0: them to work for him too. And when they refuse, then he's like, "Well, you leave me no choice but to take over Washington D.C." Uh, and he's gonna hold it captive for Colby.
3: One hundred million dollars.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Which kind of holds up. That's a large amount of money. How much did The Vanisher try to sell the stolen defense plans for? Like two million or something. Something
1: like that. It was a paltry amount for a supervillain.
0: So the X-Men are tied up. Professor X is at home feeling sorry for himself. And we have five supervillains with a a big crime boss ready to take over Washington, D.C. Divided, they fall. But next issue is called To Save a City in which the X-Men realize, again, that they must work as a team if they want to succeed. What were some of your thoughts as you guys look forward to the cover of X-Men number 23?
1: Well, first of all, the X-Men look like they're holding their own a lot better against the supervillains than they did in this issue. (laughs) Yeah,
2: Yeah.
3: looks like the villains are retreating, actually, here.
0: It's a really fun fight scene, I think, actually. Mm -hmm. It's like a little fun splash page of a fight scene. Uh, everybody's got something to do. Uh, Jean's shooting herself up in the air pretty impressively. Yeah. We got some good stuff coming up. Uh, what did you guys think of this issue? Uh, uh, if I can hear everybody name who their star player was today, and if you have a single favorite moment from the issue today.
1: um, I think my star player and my favorite moment kind of go hand in hand. I think my star player is probably Vera because she's awesome and she also is not afraid to give hank mccoy the shit that he so well deserves um but i I do love me some vera cantor yes but i think my favorite moment was when hank mistook waldo for vera because how (laughs) How do you do that (laughs)
0: Hank has become the comic relief. We get him talking about his toes, his interactions with the beatniks. Uh, in this, he's like got this little clumsy, like he taps on a shoulder and it's Waldo instead of Mira. It makes me so happy.
2: So for me, I think the standout, because like I said at the beginning, I'm all about the villains, I, I think was the unicorn. He out of all of them shows the most potential for character development, right? He's ambitious and he wants to be the leader. Um, and it seems like he's kind of like biding his time, you know, waiting for that right moment um, to strike. And I just think that was like a very well written. I liked that foreshadowing that was coming. Is that correct? Is there stuff happening in the future with uh, him? No. Oh, well, that's really disappointing. <laughs> My man doesn't show up. Okay, well, he
0: has some aspirations, too but bad for him. he mostly just gets poisoned.
2: Oh, well, bummer. Um, but I can't find it again to quote it exactly but i remember there's a there's a part where um i believe it's either ice man or the beast they're talking about how they were just excited to come into the city to watch the movies and to go see the shows oh and to be with the girls as well i thought that (laughs) little piece at the end i was like i can relate to that (laughs) when you're trying to be straight acting and you're just like oh oh and to do this too you know i can't forget them
0: so we've openly seen beast flirt with males in, okay. in in these early comics, he's but a disaster there's a st- <laughs> there's a storyline in the future in which Beast has a girlfriend and in order to get her to go away, he pretends that he's gay. Oh, okay. But then he comes out as gay to the media to see what their reaction will be. He's like testing their tolerance. And then he says, actually, no, I'm not gay. So I think he's bisexual mm-hmm. and closeted. But it's a really problematic storyline, regardless. Fascinating.
2: Oh, that's fascinating. Ooh.
0: Yeah, that's 2000s comics instead of 1960s. <laughs> yeah. uh, Colby, how about you?
3: So I'm going to go with Count Nefaria, just because this outfit is just amazing, you know? I Who could see you wear wearing that. that. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, I, you know, cape. Anything with a cape, I'm all for it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and did you have a favorite moment today?
3: Mm. I'm trying to think about what my favorite moment was. Maybe maybe the whole fight sequence where we thought that the eel had been defeated and then he comes back.
0: That, yeah, that was pretty oh. fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, So my star player today is Colosso. <laughs> I love me a 60s robot. We don't get to see him again. He doesn't get enough love. Uh, he also sounds like Colossus, who's one of my very favorite X-Men. Uh, I, I really enjoyed that opening scene. Uh, My favorite moment in the comic book today was also Beast and Waldo. I just, nothing can top that. It was great. But I love these obscure villains. We get to see them more next issue as uh, Count Nefaria makes a move on Washington, D.C. So we'll see you guys back here next time on Gray Malkin Lane in a week. We have some really fun things coming up. We're so thrilled that you guys are tuning in with us and enjoying the podcast. Uh, Connect with us anytime online. We are Gray Malkin P, P like podcast on Twitter. Uh, and I have a Gray Malkin Lane account on Instagram as well. We're posting images from the issues that we're reviewing uh, very regularly, and I'm always there to chat. Uh, let us know what you're loving about the podcast. Uh, for you guys, unless you're too busy being caught up in a love triangle, the three of you, uh, where can people find you on social media if you would like to share or just say, passive if not?
1: Um, my Twitter and Insta handles are the same. It is at Heather underscore Beth underscore and... I post a lot on Instagram. Working on Twitter.
2: <laughs> and for me, I'm at just Jason Steinman on Instagram. Steinman, like the piano. Oh, that's a Steinway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. do you know what? Oh, I've so called Jason Steinway so many times? This is not yeah. the first. Yeah, Jason Steinman. Two ends at the end. Yes. <laughs> And
3: I'm terrible about posting on social media, but if you want to find me, you'll find me under my name, Colby Tire. You have to spell that. And for people, I do darling. Have to spell the whole thing for you because you'll never find it otherwise. It's K H O L B Y, and last name's T H E U R E R how you get tired out of that i don't know but that's what it is
0: colby uh his name being spelled with a K H, is my best friend and i regularly call him k-hole so you're all welcome (laughs) to send him messages online to say hey k-hole uh we have some really incredible professional guests coming on the podcast in the next few weeks i can't make any announcements yet but trust me you're going to be thrilled Uh, If you enjoyed uh, Terry Blass and Bradley Clayton and uh, Anthony Oliveira on the show, keep your ears perked. We've got some really fun names coming up. We're obviously working with podcast professionals constantly. uh, And I mean, my favorite thing is just chilling with my friends. But we've got some really big names coming up. So, so excited. Uh, Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. We'll see you back next week on To Save a City. Bye.